you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at las.com slash events. Previously on California City. Nat believed with all his heart that God gave him the vision for the city. I feel like I... He's lost connection with reality. If you profit at the expense of people who are being duped, then you're evil. There's an evilness to that. In California City, Nat Mendelssohn was a mythical figure. But from the outside, I don't know, he seemed small-time, like a regional player, not someone anyone outside of Southern California would have heard of. But it turned out, Someone was paying attention. Hello? Emily Ralph Nader. New York lawyer Ralph Nader, a legal advisor to the United States Federal Senate inquiry. State legislation since the 1960s. Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader is the green... Ralph Nader, Nader charged today that General Motors... Hi, Ralph. How are you? Good. I can't believe you're into this land development story. What's going on with <laughs> journalism in California? What do you mean? Well, they don't usually pay attention to this. Oh, well, that, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Ralph, can I first just have you introduce yourself? Yeah, so Ralph Nader. I've been called consumer advocate and worse names. Before Ralph Nader ever heard about California City, he was busy becoming famous for something else, car safety. In 1965, Ralph published an expose of General Motors called Unsafe at Any Speed. He accused them of knowingly manufacturing dangerous cars. His work is the reason we have seatbelts in cars. So not surprisingly, GM didn't care for Ralph. He had cost them a lot of money, and so they had him secretly followed, and they investigated his finances. They even hired women to try to seduce him. But Ralph was unseducible. He sued GM and won nearly half a million dollars. He used the money to hire a bunch of Ivy League law school grads, men mostly with close shaves and boring ties. People called them the Nader's Raiders, and Ralph was their fearless leader. Ralph Nader, who started the massive concern for auto safety, says the public wants mandatory airbags now. Show me anybody in this country who would rather go into steel and glass in an automobile collision instead of a cushioned airbag. After the seatbelt victory, Ralph started looking for something else to blow the lid off of. And he decided on development and land sales in California. He'd worked in Yosemite one summer earlier in his life, and like we all do when working in a national park, surrounded by beautiful nature. I began to absorb the uh, rampant land development, the lack of zoning, the conflicts of interest, the corruption, the misuse of eminent domain, uh, the huge subsidies, tax subsidies uh, given to these developers. So Ralph decided to unleash his raiders on land sales in California. Well, I was uh, one of the first Nader Raiders back in the 1960s. Uh, I started working for Nader in 68, uh, right after he published Unsafe at Any Speed. Ralph put Bob Velmuth in charge of the project. And two of Bob's researchers stumbled upon California City. And they went there to see what was really going on. There was exaggeration going on vis-a-vis how settled it was, how much of a metropolis it was. 
so you, in a sense, you could just say, well, okay, they, they, they were overly optimistic. And hindsight is twenty twenty. blah, blah. When the Nader's Raiders went to California City, it was barely a city at all. There was no doctor, no dentist, no drugstore, no clinic, no tailor, no travel agent, no bakery, no bookstore, no liquor store, no veterinarian, no mortician, no high school, no intermediate school, no college, no standard oil, union oil, shell oil, mobile oil, or Texaco station. In 1971, the Raiders published their findings about California City and a bunch of other things in this little paperback with a yellow and red cover. They called it The Politics of Land, and I read it one night while I was cooking pasta. Oh my God. Okay, okay, I just have to read this whole part. This is no ordinary real estate scheme. Mendelssohn isn't trying to sell land, and the public isn't really buying the land. They're engaged in a grand illusion of creating wealth. Mendelssohn has a dream, and the buyers believe the developer's dream is capable of providing them with a pot of gold. The art of creating gold from base metals has long eluded our grasp, but N.K. Mendelssohn has perfected the art of turning desert dust into gold, but only for himself. Oh my God. Such a nerd. Anyway, so the Raiders were horrified by the way Nat Mendelssohn's salespeople sold land. It went like this. You'd see an ad in the paper for a real estate training course. You'd attend a dinner party to hear more about it. You'd learn you could make a bunch of money selling land in this place called California City. You'd take the course, and you'd buy a piece of land yourself. And then you'd persuade your friends and family to come check it out. It seemed so similar to what Ben Perez said Marion DeCrew told him. Buy land yourself, and then make your money back referring your friends and family. I decided if I was going to understand Silver Saddle's sales strategy, I needed to know what preceded it. I needed to know how Nat Mendelssohn sold so much empty desert land. I needed to know how he got big. So big, he attracted the attention of Ralph Nader. So I tracked down one of Nat's former salesmen, a guy who spoke sales, not English. And talking to him was as close as I could get to being in one of Nat's sales offices. Almost as good as hearing the pitch myself. And I gotta say, it's pretty genius. I'm Emily Guerin. Welcome to California City, Episode 3. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Elias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events. Company. Hi, this is Emily, the reporter calling back for Don. Hold one minute. Thanks. I found Don Kirkendall because on his company's website, 
He listed that he'd been a land salesman for Nat's company almost 50 years ago. Okay. Hey, Don. Sorry that took so long. We he was proud of his first real job. It was a weird thing to include on your resume, if you know what happened to Nat's company. I mean, it's not like putting Fixer for Rudy Giuliani on there or anything, but it's still not the best look. Listen, you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. That's what sales are about. Doesn't make any difference whether you're selling a car or selling a stock or selling a piece of property in, in the Mojave Desert. Don talked like he was letting me in on a little secret. He once said, hey, listen, 38 times in a single phone call. He calls his assistant Babe, and he calls himself a dirt peddler. No shame. We were dirt salesmen. We were, we were peddlers. We were all dirt guys. Don taught me a lot of new words. What Silver Saddle would call referrals, Don called ups. Ups are people. What Silver Saddle called land banking, Don called a dirt deal. Well, that's what they're called in the industry. We did, they're just dirt deals. Don never stopped defending the dirt deals he did for Nat Mendelssohn. He feels really grateful to Nat, to California City, to the student program, which is his term for the real estate training course that Nat used to sell so much land. Don took the student program in 1970, and it saved him from his dangerous job at the Rocky Flats nuclear weapons plant outside Denver. I'm not totally sure what he did there. He wouldn't tell me because he had a top secret clearance, but it had something to do with plutonium. I didn't know a, a real estate transaction from a search warrant when I, when I went into the student program and they trained me to be a salesman and they taught me how to take ups and they taught me how to close and they taught me a, 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 an invaluable, invaluable lesson. I've never been unemployed. I've, I've had a job my entire life. I'm, I'm doing the same thing today I was doing 50 years ago. I'm looking for the next deal. It was 1970 and by that point, Nat had been selling land in California City for just over a decade. He had 3,000 salesmen and more than 24 offices all over the world. Hawaii, Texas, Illinois, Germany, Mexico, the Philippines, and Seattle, where Don ended up moving. Don and the other salesmen placed ads in the local paper. I found some of them. Our business is good. We need additional real estate salespeople. Earn $10,000 or more this year. Let us explain. Attend a free evening or daytime meeting. The meetings took place at fancy modern places like the Jack Tar Hotel in downtown San Francisco. The building was blue and white glass and there was a three-sided rotating sign on top so that as it turned, you could see the words Jack Tar Hotel. There was air conditioning in every room. There was an outdoor skating rink, and there was a parking lot full of heavy American cars. The company would fly salesmen like Don in, and at 8 p.m., they would get up on stage in the Pacific Heights room and say something like, Listen, you could be a Kirkendall. You could be, you could be making atomic bombs for Dow Chemical right now, or you could be making four or $5,000 a month like Kirkendall. Yeah, you can do it too. Hey, listen, if I can do it, you can do it. Don loved putting on his suit and addressing the crowd, a shining example of what could happen if you took Nat Mendelssohn's student program. If you were impressed by the pitch, if you thought you could be a Kirkendall too, the next step was to take the course. And then you were expected to buy a piece of land in California City, or in sales speak, buy... That's what we call tool lots. I mean, tool you know, lots. Tool lots, that's what we call tool. 
Hey, listen, if you go to work for Clarence Kalick tomorrow at North Park Lincoln, are you going to be driving a Chevy? Probably not. Probably not. So what is that? It's a tool. If you're going to sell a Chevy, you'd better drive one. It was like when Marion told Ben she owned that model home near Silver Saddle. It gave the impression that she believed so deeply she was willing to invest herself. It was just kind of common sense. And just like Marion did with Ben, Don and the other salesmen would suggest that the students recruit their friends and family to come down to California City and buy a lot. So the students would come up with a list of names of potential ups, and they'd bring them, these people they were closest to, to a seminar where Don would stand behind a podium and pitch them on California City. And if they were intrigued, Don would book them a flight on a chartered jet to the hottest new city in Southern California. When Don worked there in the early 70s, the company spent almost a million dollars a year on flying people down to take a look. They'd fly into SeaTac and we'd load them up with our Seattle people. We'd fly down to Portland, pick up our Portland people, fly down to Los Angeles. We'd put them on buses and we'd drive them out to California City and We'd dump them out of the truck and we'd, take, we'd give them to the, the, up, the up guys at California City and they'd take them out and, and show them the property. The buses parked in a huge parking lot in downtown, or what they promised would one day be downtown. The ups climbed down the stairs and walked into the sales tent where they were greeted by a bunch of folksy salesmen. There was a map of the city tacked up on a board and the salesmen told the ups to just pick out a street they liked. Darwin Drive, Da Vinci Place, Gold Rush Avenue. And then they'd walk over to a row of shiny black Cadillacs and drive off to be sold a dream. Nat had an army of salespeople. And Catherine Efford, that woman who thought he was a prophet, she was one of them. And not to gossip, but a woman who knew her back then told me that Catherine had a nickname in those days. They called her the Barracuda. Catherine used to love driving out into the desert with a couple of ups in the back of her Cadillac. Just picture it. She drives past the model homes and their tumbleweed yards, past the sailboats tacking on the artificial lake, past the edge of downtown, and through 17 miles of empty desert. She drives to the top of Galileo Hill. Nat Mendelssohn had named the hill himself. He admired Galileo, a man with big, controversial ideas who was deemed a heretic and confined to his house for the rest of his life, but was later redeemed by history. I imagine Catherine parking the Cadillac on top and getting out. Her red hair whips her face in the wind. The ups climb out too. The man raises his hand to his forehead to block the sun, and the wife clutches her skirt so it doesn't balloon. Catherine looks at them and says, Everybody has a dream. Everybody has a desire to get better than they are today. Everybody has a family. They want to see kids go to college. The one thing that people always seem to put on the back burner because it's out of their reach is real estate. Real estate is the basis of all wealth, period. Worldwide basis of all wealth. Kings, queens, and wars are fought over her. If she's dirt, someone's going to die for that piece of dirt. That's just the way it is. California City is sandwiched between three major freeways. They will someday be six and eight lane freeways. Today, that's not quite there. But where California City is, is what will give her her value. If you can't see the vision, you can't see the dream, don't buy it. If all you see is vacant land with a few roads, 
you don't get it. If you see another Van Nuys or another Encino or another Salt Lake City, then you've got the vision. If you've got the vision, buy it. If you don't have the vision, don't bother. That was, like, very convincing, what you just did. Do you know why? Why? Because I believed it. I still believe it. The prerequisite to any kind of sales, I don't care what it is, you got to believe in your product. After the tour, they drove back into town. And the ups had a decision to make. Was California City the right investment for them or not? I mean, they were so young. They were children, really. Not that different from Ben Perez. They rented cramped apartments and the kinds of neighborhoods where everyone wishes they lived somewhere else. The most valuable things they owned were their cars and their engagement rings. But here was this opportunity to invest. They could pay for the land in installments, 200 down and 30 bucks a month. Maybe they'd retire there. Or maybe they'd just sell the land to put the kids through college. But it wasn't all hopes and dreams that convinced them to buy. There was pressure, too. The people who'd invited them out to California City were their friends, their family. It's one thing to disappoint a salesman. It's another thing to let down your brother or your cousin. Just think of all those awkward birthdays and Thanksgivings. It is so much easier to just say yes than to say no. This is how Nat sold so much land. He made you sell. It was going so well, Nat Mendelssohn decided to open up two additional cities, Colorado City, Colorado, and Cochiti Lake, New Mexico. Three cities, thousands of salesmen, tens of thousands of ups, who would spend hundreds of millions of dollars. Carla Nemeth was shown a map of how California City would look fully built out. She thought it was so exciting, she bought land just to be a part of it. Well, this was a bust. I'm not ever going to be able to get rid of it. Her salespeople said she would definitely make her money back and then some. She didn't. A salesperson told June Sugasawara that California City was a golden opportunity, that she'd make millions once an international airport was built. But there's no sign of an airport. A salesperson told Gary Lindsay that California City's population would double in two years. He was going to get rich quick when the aerospace industry moved in. But that never happened. No, there's no buyers for it. Nobody wants it. I suppose you could give it away, but can't sell it. A salesperson told Catherine Jandeska she'd be able to sell her $4,300 lot and make a profit. And she did end up selling it to Habitat for Humanity for $1. I don't have any illusion that it's worth what we paid. So people complained. They complained to reporters. They complained to lawyers. They complained to the state attorney general. Don Kirkendall said he never heard these complaints until he talked to me. And when I told him, he brushed them off. If, even if there were a thousand people that sued us, it would be a fraction, a minuscule amount of the people that actually participated in the programs and people that bought property from them. But when I asked him about the way he sold land, his tricks of the trade, he got defensive. Hey, I just wanted to ask the last thing. Um, you said you learned a lot about sales from working in California City. And I was wondering if you have any specific examples of tactics that you still use. Tactics? 
<laughs> yeah, strategy. Tactics. I don't know. What would you call it? Hey, listen, I think you have the wrong impression of salespeople. They didn't teach us to be fast pitch guys and close this guy with with his fingernails on the table or something in the back room. I mean, you know, when you look at a guy and say, hey, listen, we're going to sell you some California city property. We're going to put you on a plane. We're going to take you to California. We're going to put you in a hotel for a night. We're going to take you out to the Antelope Valley. We're going to let you walk on this piece of property. And, John, if you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. I mean, how can you be more transparent than that? What makes you think I have a bad impression or the wrong impression about salespeople? Well, because you keep talking about the student program. And you keep, and obviously you, you've read that, that a lot of people didn't like the student program and, and that they, it didn't work for them. And um, I know that. I, and, I, and, I, and believe me, I know that. I was there. I guess I've read, I, I actually haven't necessarily read that people liked it or didn't like it. I've read that um, they were promised things that weren't true. Well, I don't know, again, I, I, I don't think any of that happened in the Northwest Division. But Don Kirkendall did have doubts of his own, specifically about why Nat Mendelssohn chose to build California City in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Why did Nat pick that spot? But hey, listen, it just, who knows? I wasn't the kind of guy that was going to sit back and second guess a guy like Nat Mendelssohn. <laughs> I mean, I'm a 25-year-old kid, you know, with no college education. And it, you know, I never asked those kind of questions. There's a lot of reasons why people don't ask those kinds of questions. I used to be a reporter in the oil fields in North Dakota, where 25-year-old kids with no college education put up with 16-hour days, deadly roads, and toxic fumes because they were raking it in. The golden handcuffs, an oil worker once told me. When you're making that kind of money, you'll do anything to keep it coming. But Catherine Efford was a different story. I think she didn't ask Nat Mendelssohn those kinds of questions because she didn't have them. She seemed willing to do almost anything for him. Move to California, pose in a bikini, maybe even bend the truth a little. She had proof of some of the things she said, but some of her stories just seemed over the top. Like specifically, her story of meeting Nat Mendelssohn in California City in 1958. So I called her younger sister, Susan, to fact check it. And Susan said, oh, please, por favor. I could hear her rolling her eyes. Susan's theory is that California City became so important to Catherine later in her life, she inserted herself into its inception. So I asked Catherine, did you make up that story? No, no. And the reason that she has no knowledge of that is I don't, do you think I'm going to tell somebody I'm getting on an airplane, I'm nine months pregnant, I'm going to get on the airplane with somebody they don't know? I told my mother, I said, Mom, I'm going to fly out to California, I'll be back tonight. She said, you can't fly, you're nine months pregnant. I said, yes, I can. My baby bump doesn't show, leave me alone. That was, that, that has always been my attitude, okay? My mother was an alcoholic. If you think she would have told Susan, you're crazy, you know? So, I mean, it's like, you know, what did I, what was I doing? Nobody has ever asked me, Emily, what did you do between the time you were 15 and 20? Mm -hmm. Nobody. Nobody. Okay? 
absolutely nobody. I got my real estate license. I, I traveled. I saw things, did things, and got paid for things that most people only dream about getting paid for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, God, you know, I mean, I, I kind of figured my sister would just simply say, well, I, I don't think she was there. All right. Why? Because she wasn't even talking to me. Not talking to me, Emily. Yeah. There were other things that didn't add up. Catherine told me she was taking classes at Northwestern University. But when I called, the registrar couldn't find her. She told me that Nat sent 107 purple and white orchids to her fourth wedding. But later, she told me they were actually white roses, baby's breath, and a single black orchid. And I think the the reason that the details are important to me is because it, um, a lot of the things that you told me and that other people told me that happened a long time ago, like they're kind of hard to fact check. They're kind of hard to verify. And so if I get the sense that there's like inconsistencies in what people say, or if, or if someone close to them says, no, that didn't happen. Does that, no, but, but does that make sense though, that it might cast doubt on like other things? Oh, of course. In fact, checking with Catherine, she said Susan had always been jealous of her. That explained the inconsistencies. And normally, I wouldn't include such an unreliable person in a story. I would do just what Catherine suggested. I'd exclude her, cut her out, delete her. But if there's one thing I learned from spending so much time in California City, it's that it is full of unreliable narrators. You can't tell the story honestly and exclude them. When the Nader's Raiders published their big expose on Nat Mendelssohn in California City in 1971, they accused Nat of committing fraud. They called the way he sold land in California City the big lie. But it wasn't their job to stop him, to do something about it. That was up to someone else. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you Ken Donnie, Ralph Nader of the West. That's after a break. You scare the hell out of the power structure when you know what's going on. The journalists of LAist work for you. I'm LAist correspondent Jill Replogle. Orange County is experiencing rapid change, demographically, politically, and in its built and natural environments. I help people navigate those changes and build connections with their OC neighbors. LAist. Independent journalism. Fact-based journalism. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. My relationship to Ken Donnie is complicated, but he is the closest thing this story has to a hero. He came closer than anyone else to stopping the scam. He was 29 when he did it, a young, cocky lawyer at the Federal Trade Commission in the 1970s. He had wavy brown hair that reached to his collar and John Lennon glasses. He worked out of a shiny skyscraper on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. Hitting corporate America where it hurts worse, and that's in their 
pocketbook. Ken didn't have a poster of Ralph Nader on his wall or anything, but the way he talks about him, it seems like he should have. He was Ralph Nader of the West. He was a modern-day Robin Hood. Take from the rich and give to the, the less rich, the needy, the, the small guy and gal. And his sheriff of Nottingham was Nat Mendelssohn. The genius, and I say that in quotes, of the original land development scheme was created by a white-collar crook named Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn. As far as I can tell, the FTC began investigating California City just after the Nader's Raiders report came out. By the time Ken started there in 1973, his boss already had a massive file on Nat in California City. And he brought it to me, dropped it on my desk. I had no idea what it was. It was, it was a file about, oh, two feet high. <laughs> really? Uh, and it was, it was a lot, lot, lot higher after I got done with it. The FTC had issued a cease and desist order. Stop making false and misleading statements. Stop running deceptive ads. Or else, we'll take you to court. Now it was Ken's job to be the enforcer, or in FTC jargon, do a compliance case. Compliance cases were generally considered kind of a humdrum, go through the motions, make sure this, that, and the other thing's going on. Yeah. To Ken, there was nothing humdrum about it. They had not ceased or desisted. They were still running ads, making claims like, major industry is moving to the Antelope Valley. Employment is good. The community is growing. The future is bright. Of all the deceptions cited by the FTC, Ken was most impressed by Nat's student program. I could tell he thought it was important because he explained it to me nine times. Tool, T-O-O-L, lot, L-O-T, T-O-O-L, a tool lot. His ingenious scheme was the tool lot, that's T-O-O-L, lot. And the way he swindled these folks originally was, first of all, it was for real estate, for these people to get a real estate license. They wanted to become real estate agents themselves. And in order to do this, the Mendelssohn scheme was, you need to buy your own property, you see, Mr. and Mrs. Consumer, because when you want to sell future property, you can say, see, this stuff is so good, I bought my own uh, property as well. So that w- And that was a lie. That's fraudulent. Absolutely fraudulent. Because it's bait and switch. For Ken to figure out what was really going on, he needed an inside man. So he made his own group of Nader's Raiders, and he had them pose as ups. He'd send them to hotel ballrooms, and they'd sit there next to overflowing ashtrays and take notes as salespeople made their pitch. They'd ride the bus out to California City. They'd listen to the spiel from the top of Galileo Hill. Close your eyes and imagine the lights of Los Angeles. This is what this area is going to look like in the not-so-distant future. The more Ken learned, the more he respected how good the salespeople were. And to be clear, Ken was speaking about them as a group. He said he didn't know the salespeople I'd talked to, and he didn't name any names. A good salesperson is a work of art. I mean, those folks are something else. It's in their DNA, and they'll tell you that, that they not only sell the product, they sell a dream. That's their language, not mine. What that means is this, and this is, again, before we get cut off. We We're doing fine. I'm, keep, I'm keeping track of the time. We're good. 
Good, good, good. They prey on what we all share in humanity, which is our wishful thinking. Empirically, I've seen it proven time and time again that people, the most intelligent people, the most emotionally stable people, are in an incredibly vulnerable position. Vulnerable to what? To a shyster, to a fraudster, to a grifter. All these con artists, these fake oil artists, are utterly aware of that psychology. Ken investigated for a year. He had enough evidence that the company Nat had founded was still breaking the law, and thousands of people were still getting swindled. It was time for a confrontation, time to negotiate a punishment. It was time to put a stop to the scam. Or at least to try. Okay, so it's 1976 at this point. Nat Mendelssohn didn't even own the company anymore. He had sold it a few years earlier to generate more cash. And then he'd resigned and moved to Texas. The company's new name was Great Western Cities. And it was owned by a pair of very rich brothers, also from Texas. The Hunt Brothers. They made their money on silver and oil. And what you need to know about these guys is that their family was the inspiration for the TV show Dallas. They're still one of the richest families in the world. So they never cared about California City. It was a pimple on their butt. So Ken flies to Denver. He goes to the Great Western City's headquarters. It's in this historic building with arched windows, carved granite pillars, and a boardroom table that Ken said was like a mile long. Ken and another FTC lawyer sat down in the dead center of that massive table. On the opposite side of the width was Ivan Irwin, uh, the Hunt's personal lawyer. Ivan Irwin a man who'd gotten rich helping even richer men get out of legal trouble. He died in 2018. On Ken's left sat another one of the Hans lawyers. He's still alive, but he never returned my calls or emails. And on Ken's right... A guy who I later found out was former FBI, and I could see a pistol in his shoulder holster inside his, inside his suit. Wait, uh, so Why? He was clearly there to try and intimidate me. Wait, wait, sorry, just to clarify. Shirt, so would he, like, periodically <laughs> open his jacket so you could see the pistol? Well, I, I wouldn't say periodically. Let's just say uh, I, I had a clear vision of the pistol in his uh, shoulder holster. Jeez. And this guy had zero effect on me. When I would push back my chair and put my pointy-toed uh, cowboy boots brown tan boots up on the table. It was always on his side of the table, the guy who was supposed to intimidate me. And Ivan Irwin quickly caught on that that, that, game, that game wasn't working with this young attorney. I can't confirm the story, but I love it anyway. Just picture it, this West L.A. boy wearing cowboy boots to a big negotiation so the Texans don't push him around. Ken knew that the hunts weren't really to blame for what was going wrong in California City. They inherited the problems when they bought Great Western Cities a few years earlier. To put it in literary terms and not legal terms, uh, Mendelssohn was the... We have 60 seconds remaining. Mendelssohn was the evil genius, and, and the Hunt Brothers of Dallas were the, for want of a better way of putting it before we get cut off, 
for the honest, greedy, honest, greedy bunch that got stuck with the bill. It so, feels to me like in this this story, there's there's people who you think are good guys and then they're bad guys, or they're people who you think are victims and then they're perpetrators. You're a really good journalist. Has anyone ever told you that? <laughs> Uh, my mother. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Eventually, they settled the case. There would be consequences. A punishment for scamming at least 73,000 people out of hundreds of millions of dollars. There were four main parts. One, Great Western City salesmen had to stop telling people that land in California City was an excellent investment. Two, they had to put a warning label on all of their California City contracts and brochures. A little white rectangle with a black outline and blocky font, like you might see on a cigarette carton. It said, quote, the value of this land is uncertain. Do not count on an increase in value. Three, spend $16 million building paved roads, power, water, and sewer lines. In other words, the things they'd said were already there. And four, a nearly $4 million refund to everyone who had bought land since 1972. The LA Times called it the largest consumer refund in the history of the FTC. Sitting in first class on his way home from Denver, Ken popped some champagne to celebrate. Afterwards, California City fell apart. First the company, and then the place. Sales dropped from almost 58 million to 14 million in just five years. The number of salespeople plummeted from 3,000 to less than 200. It turned out that vacant Mojave Desert land 100 miles north of Los Angeles was nearly impossible to sell without deceiving people about its value. So no more deceptions meant no more sales. And no more sales meant no more money to prop up California City. I mean, the place had always been a company town. The company paid to pave the roads, to plant trees, to subsidize the Shakey's Pizza and the bowling alley. And without the development company, the town withered. The oleander bushes that lined California City Boulevard got scraggly and wild. The grass on the par three golf course turned brown. The Lakeshore Inn closed and weeds crept along the cracks in the parking lot. Eventually, even the waterfall went dry. In February of 1984, Great Western Cities declared bankruptcy. Nine months later, Nat Mendelssohn died. He had a heart attack after a round of golf and drove into a tree. Obituaries ran in papers around the country. Some told the truth, some sold the myth. Nat Mendelssohn, developer of controversial California City, died Sunday. Nat Mendelssohn, the father of California City, the man with a vision for a city where an average American could live in a country club atmosphere is dead at 69. He is survived by his wife, Helen, his daughter, Janet, and five major master planned communities. Survivors include his adopted child, Alex Mendelssohn. Many of the people who'd bought the dream and the empty land, they got their money back. Ken Donnie was a hero a consumer protection hero, the Ralph Nader of the West. But if you look at the rest of Ken's life, he was nobody's hero. In fact, anyone else would consider him a villain. 
Do you really think that anybody could just snap and kill their wife? Um, You have 60 seconds remaining. That's next time on California City. California City is written and reported by me, Emily Guerin. Arwen Champion-Nix and James Kim did our sound design, production, and story editing. Mike Kessler is our editor. Fact-checking and additional production by Gabriel Donatoff. Mixing by our engineer, Valentino Rivera. Original music by Andrew Epen. And thanks to Shannon Starkey for talking to me about the architecture of California City. The Jane and Ron Olson Center for Investigative Reporting helped make California City possible. Ron Olson is an honorary trustee for Southern California Public Radio. The Olsons do not have any editorial input on the stories we cover. California City is a production of LAist Studios. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.